0: I'm not doing a series on the book of Revelation, so... Well, I'm doing a mini... I'll tell you about. I'm doing a mini-series on the book of Revelation. I preached... I read this at the wedding. I read the beginning of this section of Revelation at the wedding. Jonathan Foster, who married Sarah, is a PCA pastor. Uh, They told me in counseling that uh, this is what they wanted their theme of their wedding to be, from uh, Revelation 19 verses... Six through nine. I never, it is the, maybe the best wedding text you could ever pick. You know, usually it's 1 Corinthians 13, which is mm-hmm. a great wedding text, great life text. But this whole section of the book of Revelation is about the uh, marriage supper of the Lamb. And uh, it's always, uh, it points to the fact that the church of Jesus Christ is the bride of Christ. And it explicitly says that the consummation of history, when the Lord Jesus returns, He will come for His bride, and that that section begins in the, the portion I read yesterday, in chapter nineteen, beginning at verse six. And it, and then speaking of the Fosters, there they are. <laughs> See, I'm using your. You made it into the sermon. <laughs> Praise the Lord um, And so I was just explaining the this, this is because of your sermon And it's also because of the New Year Because I don't know of a better New Year's text In Revelation 21 1-8 Which is the end of this section Of the Married Supper of the Lamb So give your attention to The Word of God Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Father, bless your understanding, the reading, and the application of your infallible inerrant Amen. Um, our text is written by the Apostle John. The same author of the Gospel of John same author of the three epistles, first, second, and third John. And in, in the gospels and in those epistles, uh, John is so very practical. Um, when we come to Revelation, we are almost taken aback because it's so different. Um, because the language and the imagery is not to what we're expecting from him but it is uh, John the Apostle who writes this uh, it's it's a, a genre of biblical literature called apocryphal literature so it's written differently the same <clears throat> the same uh, things that are Expanded on in John are taught by the Lord Jesus in His uh, final week of earthly ministry. They're in all three of the Synoptic Gospels. The Synoptic Gospels are those Gospels that just <clears throat> have a linear narrative of Jesus' earthly ministry, and the in the some, in the um, all of that discourse is recorded in all those final week of ministry about the things that will happen at the end. I am of the firm conviction that the Olivet Discourse, the things that are taught in the Olivet Discourse, and much of what is taught in the book of Revelation are uh, what some have termed realized eschatology. In other words, many of these events took place. Uh, i'll give you an example of one that was put in my mind this spring when we had the privilege of going to israel um, jesus prophesied in and uh, i believe it's matthew that when when uh, the, Ro- the army surrounded jerusalem that there would be a way of escape for the believers and it's a documented fact of history that the christians did escape before the roman army invaded into a town which has been present-day Jordan called Pella. And we had the privilege of driving by that town and pulling over to the side of the road and looking to that valley where they had escaped to. And the whole landscape is, is most of the, that whole area dotted by churches. So it's obvious uh, that there is some present fulfillment. But there is no way <laughs> that you can say that it's all fulfilled. It's not possible. As you read this text that we've read tonight, it immediately jumps out at you that this is talking about a time to come in which all things in heaven and earth will be made new and there will be a completely new heaven and new earth. He is speaking no less the fulfillment of all the prophets about this time. If you want to read a parallel passage, read Isaiah's chapter uh, 65 and 66, and there are amazing parallels from that chapter, those chapters, to this chapter. So I don't want to get into all of the uh, nuts and bolts of that. I want to preach a New Year's Eve message which uh, uh, gives us uh, great hope in uh, what God is doing in our life presently. Uh, But I do want to refer to the text. And so my first point is this, that at the end of the age, when Christ returns, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Who doesn't like something that's new, right? That's kind of like the Christmas spirit. You get something new. I got got a new set of suspenders that I really love. My wife's been (laughs) nagging me to have suspenders for three years, and I finally got some. And they're really wonderful. You've probably got something like that as well that made your your life simpler or better or happier. Uh, It's human nature. It's deeply ingrained in us. Um. The the news cycle, the news cycle just makes you know. I did my my advice to you this year to increase your sanctification level is: don't watch any news. Just don't and read very little of it, because uh, because it depends on your desire to learn something new, to see something new. But learn something new in the scriptures. Learn something new about what God is doing and get excited about what God has done and what God is showing you through his word. I want to talk about five new things that are revealed in this text. First, a new heaven and a new as so I said yesterday at the wedding, God's plan from the very beginning has been to create a people for himself. And the whole Bible is about weddings, about, about the marriage, about the creation of Adam and Eve in his image, about, uh, you go through the scripture, it's about uh, Abraham and Sarah having a, a miraculous child to create a people of God for himself, the, the nation of Israel it's about his dealing with that nation of Israel the whole history of Israel is a series of marriages and the miraculous Jeff uh, tuning talked about uh, Boaz and have you listened to that tape yet no. you got to get that okay. it was amazing <laughs> talking about Ro, Ruth and Boaz and mm-hmm. the parallels of you're uh, you're your getting married and uh, it was uh, truly a, a joyful a mm-hmm. joyful thing and uh, uh, and how that brought about uh, King David and the royal line mm. and the royal legacy and the genealogies that we read at Christmas time, and how the Messiah came forth from the line of David, was traced by both Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel uh, in such a miraculous way. All of those things pointing to this chapter. Mm. Uh, this whole section of the marriage supper of the Lamb at the end of the age. The gospel. Um, It's been the Father's plan from all eternity. Immediately after uh, the, the fall of mankind and Genesis chapter 3, we see the, uh, the implementation of the gospel. Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. The gospel has always been about God's gracious love for sinners. Before that, Before the fall, in Genesis 3.15, the commandment was, if you do this, you will live. If you keep this commandment of not eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will live. But if you do eat of it, you will die. And that has been the reality of mankind ever since. I've gotten to the point where, where I, occasionally I see a new movie that's okay, but most of the new movies are terrible. They're a terrible waste of time and very depressing. But some of the, and some of the old movies are, are depressing too, but they're good, even if they're depressing. <laughs> yeah. For example, The Bridge Over the River Kwai. Yeah. If you've never seen that movie, you should. Mm-hmm. About about a real historical event of World War II, where uh, British uh, and American prisoners were forced labor to build a to build a bridge, and it's uh, it's japan and it's about the Japanese uh, uh, totalitarian forced labor of them, and when and I hope I don't spoil the movie for you. Probably, you know, anyway, I'm going to spoil it for you anyway. Um, it's, a, it's an exercise in futility. But, but if they don't build the bridge, they will be executed. And at one scene, the Japanese commander runs out with his bayonet and says, All die, all die, because they were subverting the work. And that message though just as i thought about that when i saw that scene several years ago and i thought about it that's, that's 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 satan's message that's the devil's message you're all going to die well he actually uh, he he said you would die the truth is he meant that they would die Before we came to Christ, we were prisoners, we were in bondage, we were slaves to sin in a futile exercise. There is no hope. And the truth of the gospel is there is hope. There is deliverance from the bondage of evil. And it won't be fully realized until there is a new heaven and a new earth. Oh, the wondrous love of God in the coming of the Messiah and in the second coming of the Messiah, which this passage points to. What Adam could not do, Jesus did do. What Adam could not do to fulfill the conditions of righteousness, Jesus did do and met all of the righteous demands of God's law. And he promised the Holy Spirit to send the Holy Spirit when he ascended to heaven, which he did. He poured it out on all flesh, men and women and children from every tongue and tribe and nation who repent and believe the gospel. And he told us to occupy uh, this place of earth until he comes through the gospel, to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel and make disciples by baptizing and teaching them teaching them everything that God has commanded. And that is the promise. and their promise and the ultimate reward is this new heaven and a new earth that is spoken of in verse one of our text. This morning we took the Lord's Supper, and we say what the Apostle Paul says in the Lord's Supper every time we take it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, do this. Every time you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Our text tonight is about when he comes. So there will be a new heaven and a new earth. I don't understand how that will be fully transformed. And in fact, when I try to reconcile all these passages, when I read Isaiah 65 and 66, and I read all of Revelation 21, I come away scratching my head. I have my my position on how all this will be fulfilled has changed at least a half a dozen times in 40 years of ministry. But I know it's true. I know every bit of it's true. And, and our Lord Jesus tells us, we don't have to know all the, all the details. We know enough. The main things are the plain things. And the main thing you need to know is if you believe the gospel, you will live. If you believe the good news that Jesus died for you, you will live forever with him in a new heaven, and a new earth, a perfect, a perfect earth and a perfect heaven that will be totally renewed. In the New Jerusalem, very clear. It's a new, there's a New Jerusalem in verse two. I saw, I saw a, I saw the holy city. He calls it New Jerusalem. Note that coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Um, the old way before before the fall was if you if you do if you keep my commandments you will enter into life well we broke them with Adam and Eve we broke them we fell death entered and spread to the whole world and so that covenant was broken so there was the need of a new covenant and the new covenant is uh, believe and then keep the commandments Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will have the Holy Spirit and you will be be able to keep the commandments. No one can be saved by keeping the law. The law, when it's preached carefully and rightly, condemns us. Uh, it, it, the men going through the larger catechism, we're, still, we're I think we're up to almost. Are we in the fourth commandment? Does anybody, any, does anybody remember? <laughs> There's, we spent a long time on all the ways we break the commandments in that Bible study, mm-hmm. and. Uh, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming uh, the the, uh, the strength and the uh, depth of the application of the law and our responsibility to keep the law. And that first use of the law is so important. That's the first use of the law is to show us how much we need forgiveness and how much we need Jesus. Our tendency is to, to think of our own... Uh, good works and our own abilities. And that's always been the temptation of the church. The early church, the book of Galatians, the apostle Paul was furious about those who would add works to salvation. And so he writes the book of Galatians. It's his most angry letter, and he's, ma- he's mainly directing at those who would uh, seek to add to salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. But he also talks about Jerusalem and its location. Tell me, verse 21 of chapter 4, you who desire to be under the law. Do you not listen to the law? Then he talks about Abraham in Genesis, which is part of the law. For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh. And while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. So... Good enough for the Apostle Paul, good enough for me, right? These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, she corresponds to the present Jerusalem. And again, before AD 70, because Jerusalem fell in AD 70. So this was written as well. I believe all the, I believe all, this full disclosure, I believe all the books were written before Jerusalem fell, including Revelation, because it's talking about the temple in Revelation. So why would he talk about something that's gone? Note that. The present Jerusalem is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She, and she is our mother. And he goes on to talk about about uh, uh, Isaac and uh, how the seed was preserved through through him. On New Year's Eve, we often make resolutions or think about resolutions. I'd encourage you not to make resolutions. They make you very dishonest. Right? I would encourage you to repent. To call... Things in your life what they are and repent you need a you need a, you need a, to renewal you need to to look forward to the new Jerusalem in heaven. You need a complete transformation from the inside out. Someone told the 19th century preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon one time, and we'd we give him a compliment, and said, said uh, You're always so alive and so full of energy. And, he, and Spurgeon looked at him and said, You obviously don't know me very well. If you knew what was in my heart, you wouldn't even want me as your preacher. The great truth of the gospel is it reveals our desperate need of renewal and transformation. We need to go back to the source of life. The Apostle Paul was telling the Galatians, by right, allegorizing the story of, of the people of Israel, that their hope was not in works righteousness. Their only hope was in the gospel that came down from heaven. The only solution to our, the bondage that we find ourselves in is the gospel of Christ forgiveness for sinners? Which leads me to the next point. We need a new dwelling. We need, actually, what I had there is um, a new perspective. I have bad writing, my secretary doesn't read it very well. We need a new perspective. I'm cautious about using the word new perspective. There's a, there's a theological heresy called the New Perspective on Paul. I, I encourage you to avoid it like the plague. But the word perspective is a very, very good word. Uh, it means to understand your surroundings and what you're looking at. We need a new understanding. We need renewal in our, the way we see and appreciate the things around us the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem, if we have that in view, if we have that as the object of our heart's desire, then it's gonna change everything about us. I think most of you get that, (laughs) or you wouldn't be here on New Year's Eve. You wouldn't wouldn't be here on, on this Lord's Day, and so often we're not here on Lord's Day evening because we don't have that perspective. When we have that perspective, it gets us excited about life and we look forward to, to, to everything. And most importantly, we look forward to a new heaven and a new earth and everything that's going to be, be there. Most importantly, our Lord Jesus Christ, who sits on the throne, surrounded by myriads of myriads of the great host of heaven, Crying out in praise to the Lamb of God. We need a new set of circumstances, a new condition of our heart. Um, I don't know what your circumstances are exactly tonight. But there there are things in your life, no doubt, like there are in mine, that you need to uh, change. And uh, they require deep heart-searching, soul-searching. And know for sure that God can change those circumstances. You might be struggling in a a job that's debilitating and and killing you. Well, praise God, you live in a free country. You're not a slave. You're not trapped. You may think you're trapped in a bad relationship. Well, God can transform your marriage if you're in a marriage that's difficult. God can transform uh, uh, the, the, the bondage you, you might feel uh, or the circumstances, whatever circumstances you're in. When Paul preached, he preached to Jew and Greek, slave and free. He preached to poor people. and He preached to rich people. People who were abounding and people who uh, were not abounding. And the great power of the gospel is that it transforms circumstances. And that's the message of the book of Revelation. God can change your circumstances. Oh, your family might be a mess. Your business might be in ruins. You may So often we we are fearful and overwhelmed by things that never happen. If your focus is on eternity and the things of God, then whatever circumstances you're in, you can get through them. God is powerful. He can can change the besetting sin in your life. He can stop it. He can give you the power to stop it. No matter how powerful an addiction it is, He can stop it. He can change your heart. He can change the heart of your spouse. He can change the heart of your parents. He can change the heart of your children and grandchildren because He's powerful. He can change your employment status. He can change all those things that, that are debilitating to you. He can change them in a minute. Because he's done the greatest thing for you, which is to save you for all eternity. In that place, there will be no more struggle. We'll wipe every tear from our eyes. Death will be no more. If the worst thing that can happen to you is you get sick and you get some terrible cancer, I mean, I'm at the age where I get something and I don't know, this might be it. <laughs> you, some of you are smiling because you know what I'm talking about. Then I think, then I, I, I then I'm just like, praise the Lord if it is. Yeah, you your you're, the circumstances may be bad, but your perspective is eternity. problem is we want to, to work it out ourselves. We want to make resolutions and we want to keep them and we want to uh, stick in our thumb and pull out our thumb and say, oh, what a good boy am I. And that's not the gospel. That's works righteousness. The gospel is God loves you right where you are in whatever circumstances you're in and the power of the gospel he can make every bit of it new right now. For those who were in Christ, that is where all of history is is coming to. That's the message of the new heaven and the new earth. As we end a, an old year, I'm just think about. I'm just glad we're not bailing water this time last year. We were bailing water out of the church from busted pipes, you know. Yeah. Which led to many good things, like our little remodeling, so many good things. And that's what God does with disasters. He takes disasters and He remodels and changes and prepares us for greater things. And the greatest thing of all is heaven before the throne of God forever. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for heaven and the reality of heaven <clears throat> that our scripture points us to. There will be a new heaven and a new earth, and everything that we see will be <clears throat> totally changed. Uh, we read these scriptures and we wonder uh, how it's going to happen, <clears throat> but you are your own interpreter, as we saw from sing you will make it plain. So thank you for that. Thank you for the confidence he gives us. Help us not to fear the worst thing that any circumstances or, or any anything that man or people or others might try to do to us. That in the midst of all of this, we have this great promise. And one day you will wipe away every tear. There will be no more death. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain because these things have passed away. And there will be no more injustice, and there will be no more torment for wicked people. They They will meet judgment. Father, in the meantime, those of us who deserve judgment, who have escaped it by your glorious gospel, help us not to be fearful. Help us to be confident and joyful at the power that's in us now, The power to change, even in the worst kind of circumstances. Father, we ask uh, your blessing on each one here tonight. All our brothers and sisters who are traveling, all who are having family reunions, all who are going through various struggles, various difficulties, we ask again for your grace to meet with each one. And if there is anyone here under the hearing of the gospel who's yet to come to understand Their sin and your great promise of forgiveness to all who repent and turn to you by faith, may they do so even tonight. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.